If money affects your life in any way, Money Making Sense will talk about it. Be financially healthy, wealthy, and wise. Here's your host, Heather Kelly. Welcome to Money Making Sense, the show that talks about all things money. Today, we're going to talk about how historical stories can teach us how to invest better. So joining me today is Patrick Huey. He is the owner of Victory Independent Planning. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Heather. Good to be here. I saw in your literature that you do teach people how to learn from history, which I'm a big believer of. But exactly what type of historical stories are going to help us invest better? I think what you said there is the key, uh, and the, the word is story. If you're trying to, you know, make a melange of the two most boring topics in history, there would be a good uh, segment of the population who would vote for history and finance uh, as those two. Yeah. Uh, so what you really need to do is have a story that you're trying to tell. I'm a big believer in stories. I believe it's a wonderful way to relate uh, to people. And that's, you know, a lot of uh, literature has been done about that as far as why the story is so powerful, especially in, in Western cultures, um, why uh, stories have been handed down from generation to generation. So to me, it's not just history. It's telling a story that means something and that can be impactful for investors either now or, or into the future, hopefully both. Well, it does seem there are so many cultures that pass down their own culture, essentially, from generation to generation. But you don't hear a lot about that as far as money is concerned. I don't know if it's just in Western culture that we don't talk about money, if maybe some of these other cultures do pass down some financial wisdom in their stories. But one of the adages that you hear growing up is, you know, don't discuss money, religion, or politics at the dinner table. <laughs> so, yep. you know, there's this whole segment of money that gets missed each generation. Yeah, I, I know for sure. I, I travel quite a bit uh, to Western Europe. Uh, I spend a lot of vacations in France. They do not have those uh, hangups as far as what to discuss during dinner. Uh, they think it makes us rather boring when it comes to, uh, to dinner conversation. Uh, but that's the culture. And I think a lot of it probably goes back to the Great Depression. You know, Depression era parents, uh, did not talk, not talk about money with their kids for obvious reasons. There wasn't a whole lot to talk about that was, that was positive. And I think that's probably where a lot of the, the hangups, uh, that we have as a culture about talking about money come from. And, and really what I want to do is break down those barriers and make it easier to talk about these things because the old saying goes that knowledge is power. Well, sure, but if you don't even know what you don't know, uh, you're completely powerless in what is becoming a much more complex investing environment every day. What stories, do you have one or two you can just relate now to our listeners so they have something to pass on to their kids? Yeah, one of the most recent uh, and most telling stories that, that I have in, in my book is about Copernicus. And if you know anything about Copernicus, uh, he was a genius in, in multiple ways. Um, this is the guy who basically uh, challenged church dogma uh, about the earth being the center of the universe. And uh, what most people don't realize is before he did that, he wrote a treatise on monetary theory. 
And the treatise basically said that the more money you create, the higher inflation is going to go. 400 years later, we still haven't learned that lesson. And, you know, we're, we're having to relearn it right now instead of using the stories that are available to us uh, from history. We keep making the same mistakes and having to relearn those lessons. So, you know, if there's any story right now that I think is uh, grabbing from a, a news perspective, that's the one. Yes, that's an important one for governments to learn, especially since they're usually the ones that are making the money. I mean, there are people who make money, but that is called counterfeit. And then you go to jail for that. So that doesn't usually work out. That's not the kind of money advice we're giving on the show. I'm guessing. (laughs) Right. Okay. So, um, so that comes from your book, History Lessons for Investors. Uh, These are relatively recent discoveries. And people think that we are so evolved as a species at this point, uh, when the, the opposite is really the truth. We've only just begun to realize how our brain works and doesn't work. Yeah. And that really, to me, is, is one of the highlights of that, the book that you referenced. It's really about looking about at ways that your brain is tricking you and relating through stories how that might be. Well, I think that's something we all might want to check out and read. I do want to go into, you also have what you call the seven pillars of financial wisdom, but Mm -hmm. I want to do that after the break so that we have a lot of time to go into those and talk to people about that. So we'll be right back with Patrick Huey. He is the owner of Victory Independent Planning. Welcome back to Money Making Sense, the show that affects your life in any way money-wise. We're talking about it. Today, we're talking about how history can teach us how to invest better financially and also just what we can do if we have no financial wisdom. And so joining me today is Patrick Huey. He's the owner of Victory Independent Planning. And I do want to start on this segment, Patrick, with what you call the seven pillars of financial wisdom. So hopefully we mm-hmm. can either grow whatever wisdom we already have or are just mm-hmm. starting down this track and can get some. So mm-hmm. what do you call the seven pillars of financial wisdom? So the seven pillars to me was a way to spell out what I think people should be looking for when they go and seek help with their finances. And... I think that there's a lot of misconceptions out there uh, about, you know, who you should choose to help you and why. Uh, so I, you know, I take folks through things like the experience uh, that you're, you're hiring. Uh, you know, there's a lot of designations out there now. Uh, some of them are very helpful. Some of them are not. Uh, you really do need to do your research and make sure that what you are hiring as an advisor is what you need as an advisor and, and that those two are meshing. Otherwise, quite frankly, you're, you're both going to be miserable. The second pillar is stewardship. You know, we really try to take people away from the sales culture and get them into a stewardship culture, culture where you're not answering the phone at six o'clock at night because your advisor is calling going, ugh, what's he going to sell me today? You are answering the phone at six o'clock at night because your advisor is calling and you want to know what she has to say uh, because she's got your back uh, because she's uh, acting in your best interest. 
The third pillar is proactive service. I think too often in this industry, we are very reactive and we pick up the phone only when it's an inbound call. We don't have a set schedule for for contact. People don't know what's on our mind uh, on a weekly basis and what's important. And that is to the detriment uh, of, of those clients as well. Fourth pillar is independence. I believe strongly as an independent advisor that it's really a, an advantage to know that what I'm telling you, what I'm offering as advice comes from me and me only, not some corporate structure behind me that has an agenda to push. Whether you agree with that agenda or not is irrelevant. I think having that independent uh, point of view is really what we should be hired for. And along with that is the fifth pillar, which is a fiduciary obligation. You absolutely need somebody who is beholden to your best interests and, and doesn't have uh, a, n- a number of conflicts of interests. And if they do, they're, they're disclosing those and working past them with you. Sixth pillar is objectivity, making sure that uh, you are not biased in, in the way you give advice and uh, understanding that that's impossible, right? Right. Uh, there is some bias in every piece of advice that anyone gives. Uh, but, you know, just like uh, the, the road to rehab is is admitting you have a problem uh, and admitting that you have bias is, is the first way, way to get past, uh, you know, providing improper advice because of that bias. And then the last uh, pillar is value. In this day and age, it's not enough to say, you know, I trade your stocks and bonds for you and I rebalance once a year. Please give me your 1% of assets under management and let me move on with my day. Uh, you really do need to have a value proposition that takes, uh, in my mind, total wealth uh, into uh, account. Yeah. It needs to uh, provide value, not just on investments, but really the, the, the gamut of, uh, of money activities, including taxes, gifting, and uh, savings, spending, all of it needs to be uh, part of that package. I want to start with that value for a second. Sure. There are sort of two camps, maybe a little bit in between, but there's the camp that thinks the more money you spend, the the better the product I'm going to have. So if you're my in, uh, my advisor and I am handing over $10,000 a year, which is mm-hmm. a lot more than maybe 1% of my portfolio, but I think, well, I'm paying all this money, so I'm going to get great product from you. Some people do that, and I would argue that's not always the case, but the reverse is true if you're the bargain shopper and mm-hmm. you're going, ooh, you're only charging me that 1% and everybody else is charging 2 or 3%, yep. then I'm going to save a whole bunch of money by going with you. Absolutely right, and I think what it goes back to is really understanding the business model that the person you're working with is operating under, right? How many clients do they have? Why, did, why is it at that number? What is their service model? Can they, you know, implement that service model across the entire client base with consistency? And how much does that cost to do? It very well could be that, you know, somebody who choose, somebody who chooses to charge 1.5% is better uh, set up than somebody who's charging 1%. But I wouldn't take their word for it. I would want to see some proof as to why that is the case which is why some due diligence on both sides of the table is is very important to make sure there's a good fit. Can you explain a little bit more about independence as Mm -hmm. one of your pillars? Because the way I understood you described it is 
independence of the financial advisor, not my own personal independence as the client. Mm -hmm. I think both are important. <laughs> um, but yes, uh, that's looking at it from from the perspective of the the financial advisor, financial planner, investment advisor, whatever the title is uh, that that they're operating under. I think it is very important that they have independence from uh, the traditional wirehouse community. Uh, I came up in that community. That was my first job in finance. I lasted nine months because it just was not a fit as far as the way I thought clients should be treated and the way that, you know, business should be done. As an independent advisor, I don't have, you know, a corporate entity behind me that is spending a bunch of money on advertising and therefore expects me to do something in return. This way, you know, you maintain that separation between the advice and, you know, being able to uh, individually tailor that to each client. And there's nothing behind it. There's no conflict of in interest uh, at that corporate level. Did you find that at that corporate level you were working at, that the fees that were charged, some of it would go toward that advertising that mm -hmm. you're talking about? Because I, I want to equate that to a uh, car salesman. There's a lot mm -hmm. of times you go in to buy a car and you look at the contract and there's advertising fee mm -hmm. on the contract and they expect the person buying the car to pay a hundred or a hundred fifty dollars toward advertising. Yep. Which I would say I, is BS. <laughs> I mean, I think it's, it's interesting that they disclose that because if you really think about it on a, on a very granular level, everybody does that, right? So if I'm advertising, it's got to be a part of my business plan. It's got to be part of my business structure. It's got to be part of how I'm choosing to spend revenues. Everybody advertises. Everybody sells, right? right? You just want to know that the person has taken off their sales hat when they're sitting down with you to talk about you know, what can potentially be some of the most important decisions you make in your life. We're going to take one more break. When we come back, we'll go a little bit more on how to find that financial advisor. You've given us the seven pillars to help us make a decision, but how do we know who we're talking to is going to fit in with those seven pillars for us? So we'll be right back with Patrick Huey. He is the owner of Victory Independent Planning. Welcome back to Money Making Sense, the show that talks about all things money. Today, we're talking about how to find a good financial advisor using seven pillars of financial wisdom and how history can teach us to invest better. But joining me for all of that is Patrick Huey. He's the owner of Victory Independent Planning. So, Patrick, you did go over the seven pillars of financial wisdom, which a lot of that has to do with the ideals that the financial advisor would have. Now, if I'm a client, how do I know that the person I'm talking to or that I'm auditioning, essentially, how do I know they follow those seven pillars? Yeah, it, it's all about the questions that you ask, right? And each one of those pillars, uh, I, I include, you know, five to seven questions uh, that the individual should ask of a potential advisor in order to, to gauge the, the fit uh, with that potential relationship. So it can be anything from, you know, an example question would be, is there anything you want to tell me about your regulatory history? 
right? Good open-ended question, and you'll know pretty quickly if if there's an issue there based on the response uh, that you get. The book also spells out how you can go and find out on your own, but obviously forewarned is forearmed, and you want to go in there with, with all the information once you've narrowed it down to maybe three to five potential choices, those questions can really help you separate the wheat from the chaff. I have a question, though. If I had been talking to Bernie Madoff and I asked him those things, Mm -hmm. would he have answered truthfully? You know, he probably would have because I don't believe he had a regulatory history at that time. The, The flashing warning lights for Bernie would have come more as you got into the specifics of the investment. And this is something I actually talk about in my other book, History Lessons for the Modern Investor, the ways that you would have spotted that that Madoff was full of it. And that's a technical term, full of it. Um, and it really breaks down into, again, we have these mental biases where we want to believe things. We desperately want to believe that somebody can give us higher returns for less risk. I've yet to see it proven so. But we want to believe it and we'll look for evidence that proves it and we'll ignore evidence that contradicts it. That's just the way the human brain works. Once you know that, now you've got the power to be able to to look at that critically and say, you know what, there's just too many of these things that don't add up and it's given me the willies. Do you have another question or two we should be asking advisors to make sure that we're on the same page? Sure. I think that one of the major things that, in my experience, people have talked about with advisors is their intelligence, right? Because he's a very smart guy. She's a very smart gal. Well, intelligence is great. Obviously, they have to have uh, the the critical thinking. They have to have uh, the ability to do the job, but they also need their emotional IQ, right? So there's IQ and there's EQ. EQ is the emotional piece uh, of it. So I like for people to ask, how are you going to help me interpret all this? What What is your structure so that you can communicate to me, who is not in the financial world, what is important to know at any given time? And now is a great example of that. How are you dealing with clients? How are you talking to them about uh, their bank and the institution that, 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 that they have money with? Even if you're not getting paid on those assets, and most people don't, you know, you should have an opinion about what they're doing with their cash in a, in a potential uh, bank panic scenario. Yeah. So I, I think that that's a big one for me is that EQ, you know, how do they relate? What are, what are they what do they like to talk about when they're not talking about finance? How are they going to create a place where you can come in and comfort and ask questions about your own finances? And they're going to be able to give you all the resources that they deserve. Yeah, and I found if it sounds like double speak and you don't get it, run. Yeah, or keep asking questions, right? Because some of us are just trained in jargon, you know, right. especially coming up through the wirehouse. That's all it was. It was jargon. And some people liked the jargon. Some people didn't. But if you kept drilling down and you kept asking questions, eventually you would get to a real conversation. Or if you didn't, to your point, you should be walking out the door uh, faster uh, than you normally would. But yeah, I, I totally agree with that. The, the jargon usually covers for something. And if you can't break through it at some point, mm-hmm. that, that's a that's a no-go. 
Yeah. Any other advice you can give for clients who are looking for somebody to help them invest more wisely? I think communication is another big, big one. How do they communicate? How do they do proactive outreach? And what type of service models are they offering? Is it customizable? Is it one size fits all? I don't think a lot of people really ask what the service model is. What are you going to do? When are you going to call me? When when are we going to meet? What types of deliverables are you actually going to provide and when? And uh, that seems to me, you know, if you were if you're hiring somebody to clean your house, you'd want to know when they're going to show up and what exactly they're going to do. Uh, if you're hiring somebody to clean your financial house, you should do the same. Oh, I like that. That is really, really good advice. All right. Patrick, do you help clients all over the country or are you only located in Florida? Where where could people we reach are, out? We are nationwide. The company is domiciled in Washington State. We currently live down in South Florida and I've got clients and I think we're in 14 states now. So we're busy, but uh, that's uh, that's where the need is and that's where we'll go. Okay. So uh, where could people reach you on a website or something if they wanted to learn more information? Sure. It's Victory independentplanning.com. And you can find me on LinkedIn as well, Patrick Huey, CFP. Okay. And then also you've got the book, History Lessons for the Modern Investor, which we could be learning a lot about in that. Those two books are available on Amazon, as well as my just released novel that just came out in, uh, in November. Actual fiction novel. Actual fiction. Is based about money? Tangentially. One, one of the characters may look a little bit like uh, what, what I looked like uh, 20 years ago working in a wirehouse. <laughs> okay, awesome. All right. Well, we will check that out. Thank you again so much, Patrick Huey. You are the owner of Victory Independent Planning. Thanks, Heather. Thanks for listening. You can email me with any questions or topics you want to hear about at hkelly at ksl.com. That's h-k-e-l-l-y at ksl.com. And because this is Money Making Sense, you can subscribe for free on Spotify, Overcast, Apple Podcasts, anywhere you listen to your favorite podcast, and you'll never miss another episode. Thanks for being a Money Making Sense listener. Follow your common sense on the social media. Money Making Sense on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.